welcome to another episode of Neo Kobe Pizza, the only gaming podcast that floats in soup. My name is Mark B, and joining me today is a gentleman who I have had more than a few interactions with on Mr. Robert Hubbs' live podcast, uh, GVN Live, over at twitch.tv slash the GVN, uh, Mr. Nick Tricombe. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing all right. Happy to be here. Oh, I'm happy to have you. Glad I'm not getting flipped off this time by your animatronic or whatever the gif, whatever the right word is for it's for on Hubs' podcast. Hey, you know what? That is entirely Robert's fault. I gave him a picture and he's like, can't you make it animated? And I was like, listen here, motherfucker. This is what you're going to get. And to be fair, he thought it was amusing. But now now these days he's like, can't you make it a little happier? I'm like, no, you don't understand how this works. Oh, yeah, I, I, I do appreciate getting flipped off in four different emotions. It makes me feel different ways each time, so. Oh, yeah, and it's, you know, it's constantly changing, so if you don't like the current one, give it a couple of seconds and there'll be a new one along. I know, still don't know what to make of, like, the crying hype face, but. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was kind of a case where I, I have a bunch of different little emoticons for that that are, are meant to be for putting together videos. I just haven't had time to do that. But when I went to my artist friend, uh, Mr. Joel Rose, who regular listeners will remember from the second episode, he came up with different possible emotions I could have. And that face was kind of meant to be the closest approximation to like a a chibi hooray kind of face. So it, it's meant to be like, you know, like a, a really excited, enthusiastic flipping you off. Your, your face says... Your face says excitement, enthusiasm. Your hands say rage. Well, I mean, you can you can be excitedly angry. I think. Yeah, yeah. I I, I think there's instances of that being true. <laughs> but uh, anyway, well, you brought me in to talk. Well, I asked if I could talk about something on here. So since this is your show, why don't you do the honors? Oh yeah, absolutely. It's you reached out to me uh, because I was looking for people to record an episode of the podcast. Uh, with a couple of different ideas, and we kind of agreed that the thing that we wanted to talk about that we were the most comfortable with here was Persona 4, to a certain extent, partly because it's it's easy ground for us to tread, and partly because it's something that we're both really passionate about talking about, just in general. I, I absolutely adore this game. Every, everything about it, even the dungeons. I've, I've seen people say these are just really long hallways, but I... There were moments, based on how the story turned out, where I was just kind of acting emotionally through them, uh, based on the circumstances. I'm. Can we go into spoilers with this already? Because I feel... I kind of feel like anybody coming into this podcast understands that there's going to be spoilers to a certain extent, but I will, I will be certain to tag it in the description, so go nuts, man. Go nuts. I can do it right now. Oh yeah, absolutely. Alright, so, so the one where Nalto gets kidnapped... I trucked through that thing. Like, I was just going past every single shadow to get to the end. I was, like, just on a rampage through that thing. You, you ever see that clip of Steve Austin, like, you know, co coming back in the... the yeah, like, right angle? after it was, oh, well, he had been in the bar waiting, and all of a sudden the, um, the lion's the is limo beating pulls the out, out it pulls up, and he gets, he gets the pull tube and just beats up all the WCW and ECW guys. And then he just comes out and just wrecks shop, yeah. That is, like, the best summary I have of going through that dungeon. I did not deal with any shadow directly unless they were in my way, and they got their ass kicked. Yeah, I can definitely empathize with that one. I I had that one... I definitely had that response with um the Nanako dungeon, I want to say. Uh, did I say Nanako the first? Nauto. I said, oh, man, I, I don't know why I still get them confused, but... 
Yeah, Nanako's Dungeon, I just went on a rampage, and people are going to probably call me out for how well I know this game now, getting those two mixed up, wow, but, um, yeah, when Nanako got kidnapped, it was just full-on rage mode. And that, that definitely, that definitely speaks to the experience and just honestly how damn good it is, how well-written it is, and it's, there's a lot to that. Now, I think I think part of it is probably worth establishing where we come into the franchise from because you had mentioned that you just like the Persona Four Persona Four Golden in particular is your first exposure to it. Yeah. So if you want me to go into full detail about it, yeah, go ahead. Basically, me beating this game was something almost four years in the making. I remember I got my Vita because I wanted it as a way to play MLB The Show because I didn't have a PS3 at the time and I figured the PS3 was kind of, the clock was ticking on that. So I wanted something where I knew it would kind of get supported for a few years down the line and now The Show isn't even on that system anymore. But um, yeah, I got my Vita for that. It turns out a few of my friends all got Vitas too. So very rare situation to be to be a Vita owner, but not only that, have a circle of friends that also have a Vita. I feel like that's not a common occurrence in today's gaming community. No, it's it's with consoles maybe, but the Vita was the Vita was a tough sell for a lot of people. But it is such it is such a beautiful handheld, and I love it. Oh yeah, but um, yeah, my friend Bobby got it, and he said, you know. I got this game, Persona 4, it's awesome. I, I mean, this is a few months later, because I remember I got it the holiday 2012 when it came out. But Persona 4 Golden came in out in the spring? I believe Golden actually did come out in the U.S. closer to, I want to say, fall? Uh, North America, November 2012. Okay, so I was off by that, but I got... I got my Vita that holiday for Christmas, again, basically for the show, but my friend Bobby uh, also got it, and he just said, hey man, there's this game, Persona 4, it's a really good RPG, and for the longest time I was like, eh, I, I, I don't know, because I've never really been into JRPGs, turn-based combat was just something I accepted as not being for me. But we got to the summer, and he just said, here, I'm done with it, just borrow it, borrow it, you need to play this game. So I had his copy for months on end, and never put, still didn't, still didn't play it. And I remember going on, on X, getting in Xbox parties uh, with my friends, and they were all um, you know, quoting stuff from um, the the comic dub from uh, Hymns Day, where it was you know, no one ate dinner that night, and just you know, drunk Dojima quotes, um, stuff like that. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Name something that starts with the letter F. Steak. Steak. Very good. Yeah, they were quoting stuff from that. I didn't know what they were talking about, and they kept getting on me for not having played Persona 4 yet. And I finally caved one day, started playing it. And that week, Bobby comes up, asks for his game back. I'm like, fine, so I gotta go and buy the game. But by that point, I was hooked. And this is happening when I was in college, so I got a good chunk through the game by like spring 2013, I would say, until I kind of completely stopped playing. But I had the save file still all those years, and then I just came back to it, like, toward the end of the summer, because I had just beaten Catherine in July, and I was, like, midway through August, where I was like, oh, I should probably beat Persona 4, that'd be a good idea, and I picked the game up, what, uh, right, right before you have to go rescue Kanji, and it was just a straight-up, just binge on that game, up until the beginning of November, 
and I beat it, and I got the golden ending, and I, like, I, I nearly cried, like, several different times. I hope that was a coherent story, because, oh, man. No, it definitely was, and it's, it's interesting to me to see where different people come into the franchise from, because I've been in it for years at this point, so it's, it's always interests me when somebody's like, well, Persona 4 or Persona 4 Golden was my first game, because it's, I, I appreciate that, especially because for years I've been kind of hoping as a fan of the franchise to get that game that is instantly accessible, where you can say, listen, I know that you don't play JRPGs, or I know that, you know, you can't get into the Mega Ten series in particular, but play this game, trust me, it'll work for you. And Persona 4 definitely feels like that game. And it's, that actually kind of leads pretty well into our discussion topic for it because as i said i've been playing the mega 10 franchise for years at this point my first game in the franchise was the first one released in the u.s which was smt persona on the playstation the first rpg i should say because i never really played the jack brothers games that came before that so so wait the, like, the original persona one was your first smt game yes Okay, so we both started in that respective sub-series, but you were there from the beginning and expanded outward, and I'm just here, like, hey, Catherine's cool too, and I'm all in on five. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's the thing to keep in mind is that the original Persona, and I've, I've gone on record saying this a couple of times, is not the best game. Okay. It's mechanically unfriendly. The narrative is much harder to recommend, and even playing the remade PlayStation Portable version, I played this on live stream on two separate days until my audience basically told me, please stop playing this fucking game, we don't want to watch it anymore. Which is the first time I've ever had that happen. Like, I've played legitimately bad, awful games, and people have been on board. I played Hannah Montana, the movie, the video game. Dude, my sister was all about that game when it came out on the Nintendo Wii, and she immediately realized it was a crappy game and stopped. She was 12 at the time, so... We, we live-streamed the whole goddamn thing. We, we, we live-streamed the whole goddamn thing. My fucking audience made memes about that. I still get people telling me when there's a character customization option to, quote, put on the Brazil dress, unquote, which is a, a reference to a dress that literally looks like the Brazilian flag in Hannah Montana, the movie, the game. It's just so bad, but we got through that game, and people were telling me for the first Persona, please stop playing this. We don't want to watch this anymore. It is not good. So, despite that, I continued on <laughs> with the franchise for pretty much that point onward, so I played the second is, Persona. Is Igor in it? Igor is in all of the Persona games. So he is in all of them. All right, because I feel like just seeing him would make me want to just keep pushing through. Yeah, it's it's... If you can get it on the cheap, I think, like, for $5, $10, I think it's $10 now on PSN. If you can get it for, like, $5, I'd say it's worth it. Even though, like, I, I'm pretty sure Igor is someone who should not be trusted, but... I he's never He has never betrayed the characters in any of the games. I think he definitely has his own motives. He has, is... but he just makes me uneasy, man. And if 5, he is the warden, and if you cross him, he will fucking kill you. Oh, oh I'm sure. God. That oh, deep sure. voice, man, that's terrifying. I don't know why they replaced the English voice actor for that. I'm pretty sure... I know the Japanese voice actor uh, passed away for Igor. I didn't know that the English voice actor passed away. Uh, they, 
maybe they want it to match. I don't know. I actually kind of dig it, but that's getting into a whole other topic anyway. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> the the core point is that I've been following along with the franchise for years, and it's just Mega Ten in general has never been something that's really been accessible in the West. Japan likes the Mega Ten franchise quite a bit. It's not on the same caliber sales-wise in terms of something like a Final Fantasy or a Dragon Quest, but it is close, and that's not nothing. So when you're talking about a franchise that consistently does well in Japan, the fact that it never translated to any kind of great success for a Western audience was always kind of disappointing, especially when you had really, really good games in that franchise like SMT3 Nocturne or Digital Devil Saga uh, during the early days of the PlayStation 2 that you wanted people to love and appreciate and jump on board with and just those games never took off, never became anything. It was disappointing. I'll chime in here with that. Uh, I think the thing, because, you know, I I grew up with the PS2 era, and so basically that, what was that, from 6 to maybe, like, 14 years old was probably my lifespan during the PS2. To yeah, it would lifespan. be from, like, 2000 until, like, 2010, pretty much. Yeah, so, yeah, that adds up basically to then. But, like, I mean, the thing is, I kind of always knew in the back of my mind, like, these these games existed, but... To me, as someone on the outside looking in all those years, it was like, okay, there's these games, but they're super Japanese. I probably wouldn't like them. I'm not even going to bother. Was that kind of feeling you got that other people had toward it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's Nocturne in particular is one of those games where if you are looking at it from the outside looking in, it's very, it's decidedly Japanese. And it's decidedly a grind fest. And it's decidedly a painful experience. You, you have to be the sort of person who is really a diehard fan of the genre to get into what something like a Nocturne or a Digital Devil Saga is laying down. Yeah, and on the mass market, on, on the mass market appeal factor, like that, that hurts Atlas, but it also benefits it because I feel like the thing that Atlas does more than most game publishers and developers that they just, they just really seem to embrace the fact that they make these weird niche games and. They just kind of go about with this attitude. It's like, okay, if one of them makes them big, all right, that's awesome. Seems like they really took it and ran with it with uh, four and then, you know, kind of bringing three into that. And now five is like, all right, this is our game. Yeah, and it's interesting because three is the first game to really approach that idea of being all things for everyone in a lot of respects. But it did better than its predecessors, but it was never a huge success in and of itself. It was a success for Atlas, to be sure, but not on the level of what we've seen from them recently. So you kind of look at Persona 3, which was successful-ish, but really only managed to generate significant response insofar as they were able to bring out the expanded FES edition and an anime named Trinity Souls, the most notable part of it being you probably don't even remember that it exists. But then you look at Persona 4, right? Persona 4 comes out in 2008. And then over the course of the next couple of years, what do we get? We get a re-release on the Vita in Persona 4 Golden, two fighting games, a dungeon crawler on the DS, a rhythm game, two different animes, and a re-release of Persona 3 on the PSP on top of a brand new set of anime movies based around Persona 3. Suddenly, with with the advent of Persona 4, and probably more accurately Persona 4 Golden, 
Persona as a franchise just exploded. Like stepping back and looking at the series as a whole, you, you can definitely tell it's a it's a it's a slow burn, and th- three was kind of starting to capture what what it wanted to be, like you said, and really start to figure out what the accessibility was there. I think the problem with why it didn't catch on at first was because that that game is just straight up it's a much darker game than four. Four four will get dark. But at its face, it's pretty bright and cheery. Where three is just, yeah, that that's that's a gun that you point at your head to summon your persona. Yeah, and it's it's. I feel like this is probably. Even though it's a, not technically a gun, but. Yeah, it's, it's 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 a gun for the purposes of the aesthetic. Like I have more than a few people that I know who are kind of iffy with like gun suicide that see that and they're still just kind of like eh. i was up in arms about it at first when i started playing four for the first time and i had friends show me three and then at a certain point i just kind of accepted that that that's what three is about it's probably not as bad as i'm thinking it making it out to be and quite honestly playing three now i'm still very early in but i'm pretty glad that junpei just brought up hey why do these have to look like guns yeah, it's it's. I appreciate that they at least lampshade the reason for it. So even if you're a little bit on the fence about it as a player, you can kind of nod and go along with it. Yeah, three's dark, but it still has some humor in there. It does, and it's it's it's. I think it's our core thesis here is probably going to be just why did Persona Four become the game that benefited from all of this success? But it is worth noting, as you said, it, it was kind of a slow burn, and even looking at stuff other than Persona Three. From a Western perspective, Persona 4 Golden in specific, but Persona 4 in general, really just benefited from Atlas consistently plugging away at the grindstone and just getting really lucky on a lot of rolls of the dice. Yeah, and uh, it might also be important to bring up too, there's at least one retry for every game. I mean, Persona 1 got a re-release on PSP, right? Yeah. And I imagine the PSP version had some improvements over the original. Yes, it's 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 a big aesthetic improvement. There's much less problems with loading time. It offers an easy mode, so if you don't want to deal with the insane amount of grinding that the game requires you to deal with, you can turn that on, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, I don't know about Persona 2, but Persona 3 it got got FES or Fez. I, I've been calling it Fez. It's, yeah, it's short for festival, so it's just Fest, Fez, whatever is, is probably fine. Yeah, Persona 3 got Fez, and then the portable version and persona 4 eventually got golden so you know there's that element too where the original game comes out and yeah it does a lot of things right but there are these things where okay you know this this could be improved and they actually went back and improved them and made the game better and re-released it and it is also worth noting that there there are remakes of both persona 2 innocent sin and persona 2 eternal punishment though hilariously we only got the original version of eternal punishment and the remake of Innocent Sin. I don't know why. Yeah, like I said, all the games have had redos, for lack of a better term, to iron things out. So that, that's something not entirely unique to the Persona series, but something I probably instantly associate with it. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely fair. And I feel like it's interesting because, like, if you just, if you look at the period of time from when... Persona 4 came out, or slightly before that, like 2007, 2006, and you trace it forward, you can kind of sort of see that there was this strong 
swell of support for Atlas in general just because of the decisions that they made and the games they chose to bring out. And it just happened to pay off with Persona 4 Golden and turn Atlas from a company that was just releasing SMT games and anything they could get their hands on into kind of sort of exclusively a Persona 4 factory for a couple of years. Yeah, slow burn. Also, I mean, right system too, because, I mean, what else was there to play on Vita at the time? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's A lot of people give Persona 4 Golden credit for being a system seller for the Vita, and that's not anything to sneeze at, because the Vita, especially in the West, was a hard sell for a lot of people. You had your early adopters, your early tech heads who were going to buy anything, but outside of that, you're talking about a $300 handheld console, which looks great, sure, but only had a small smattering of games, and outside of an Uncharted title, most of what they had available for that platform was bullshit. And then all of a sudden, uh, here comes... The show is pretty good, but that's that's coming from a huge baseball fan. I, I digress. Whatever. No, it's fine. It's, it's like, I mean, the show in general has always been kind of a hit-or-miss series, but I mean, like, as I recall, that particular year, it was good across all platforms. But it's you're kind of looking for the Vita to have its own unique games, I guess, in a lot of respects. Yeah, uh, was it, I mean, Little Deviance was one of the things they were trying to sell that system on, and that wasn't a good idea. No, I rented that game, and that game was the shits. Black Ops Declassified, oh, that, that, that didn't work. that game hurt my heart. <laughs> I love Black Ops for that, that... That was unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I've never been a huge fan of Call of Duty, but I like the games for what they are, but that game, holy shit. I don't even know where to begin. Yeah, Persona 4 Golden really was the flag bearer for that system, and I, if I never got another game for Vita other than that, I'd be pretty okay with that. Oh, absolutely, and it's it's worth noting that even now, at the point where, you know, the Vita is kind of falling out of favor in a lot of respects, I, I still recommend to people... You know, if you if you have forty or fifty dollars just lying around somewhere, get yourself a PSTV, buy Persona Four Golden, play it on your TV if you have to. Just play that game. It's it's worth playing. It is the best version of Persona Four you are going to see. And like just the idea of of going to somebody and saying, Listen, buy this console that you may only own for this one game and play this game. Sounds, like, stupid when you say it out loud, but no, Persona 4 is good enough to justify just buying this one console that you might only get this one game for. And let's face it, too, you are not going to see everything this game has to offer the first time around. Oh, no, too. not even close. I mean, I beat it. I only maxed out so many social links. I don't want to play it again immediately, maybe, like, a year from now to see what I missed, but, yeah, there, there's a lot else to see in that game that I just never even... Never even... I probably don't even know it's there. Yeah, and it's, it's also worth noting that Atlas, as I said, made some good decisions prior to Persona 4 Golden coming out that kind of really retroactively elevated that game's public perception. Because again, let's, let's not forget, during the years between the launch of Persona 4 and the launch of Persona 4 Golden, Atlas released a pair of surprisingly large hits in Catherine, which was not expected to really be anything but came out during a summer dead season and was an astonishingly interesting, I'm not going to necessarily say good because I have issues with that game, but it was well-liked. It was well-liked and people enjoyed it. And it came out during a dead period and sold gangbusters for the company and got their name out there amongst people who might not have known about them otherwise. And then before that, Demon Souls. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah holy shit, Demon Souls. I'm, I'm sure Sony. I'm sure Sony's still mad about letting that one get through, or letting that one go. But yeah, and Atlas, Atlas absolutely turned that into a major win, not just for fans of From Software or fans of the Soul series, but for themselves by being that company that stepped up and said, you know what? The Kingsfield series has never been anything. Armored Core has only gone so far, but we feel this game has potential. We're going to bring this game out where Sony didn't. And that paid off for them in spades. Yeah, and um, I, I do just want to state for the record, I love Catherine. I mean, that's fine. It's... it's... I love the. I just want to no, say. No, it's that. fine. I love the the idea of Catherine. Some of the narrative elements don't necessarily work for me. It's just that I I feel like the game. Has... I want a bar exactly like the stray sheep just to go to every. No, night. I can I could definitely see that. That is a really nice place to go. I'm not going to drink as nearly as hard as Vince does, but just sit in the booth for hours about nothing. Dude, if I had a guy who would randomly describe all of the neat stuff surrounding particular types of alcohol to me, I'd probably drink more than I do. What? Just a voice in your head? Yeah. Hello, and thank you for drinking this. Here's your bit of trivia for the evening. I don't know what the hell I just drank, but okay, thanks. Living in that world must be so grand, aside from, you know, all the hell spawn and demons and stuff, and the fact that the boss still hangs there. Yeah, well, I mean, to be fair, assuming that you live there after the fact, you know, once Vincent's kicked his ass, you know, you're, you're okay. Assuming you live in that timeline. If you live in the timeline where he ends up becoming the devil himself, uh... Great ending, but anyway, getting back to uh, Atlas's decisions, it, it it definitely does go back to that slow burn too, where you know just a bunch of little little decisions, but right decisions eventually built up, and uh, now we're here to the point where a Persona Five delay just is heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's amazing because individually, each decision that Atlas makes over the course of that four, five, six year period doesn't seem like it's any more important than any other, but taken all together, you get from a point where Atlas is a veritable unknown outside of a diehard group of fans who love their franchises to a point where Atlas is actually now kind of sort of a a big deal. Actually, I can put this into more direct terms. When Atlas was purchased by Index Corporation... I want to say right around this time period, that was not news. That was not really a conversation that we were having. It was just one day Atlas was owned by Index, and it was, oh, okay. And then when Atlas was kind of on the chopping block and was going to be sold off to somebody because Index was going to hell, I want to say it was 2014 now, that was big news. Everybody was talking about that. And it's it's that's an amazing transition for a company who, again, six, seven, eight years previous had been bought out by somebody and most people didn't even report on it. I, I don't really recall any like massive interference by Sega. It seems like they're just letting them go. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of the changes that have come in the SMT franchise in general came in before Sega was even involved in Atlas's day-to-day affairs. And for the most part, there's not been any significant indication that they've been trying to change things at all, really. Well, that said, Sega's not really in a position to do that. They're trying to make build up as much goodwill as possible, but yeah. Yeah, I feel like I feel like, and this is probably like a completely separate discussion, but I feel like Bandai Namco and Sega in particular are both kind of looking to companies like Atlas, who've been successful catering to a specific type of audience, and saying, okay, what can we do to cater to that audience? And that's why we're seeing, you know, more Yakuza titles 
a renewed interest in Valkyrie Chronicles, etc., etc., etc. It seems like too that those catering to that fan base and just building up, like along with making those little right decisions too. It just seems like it, it kind of goes to that thing where or that idea of if you try to please everyone, you please no one, and that Atlas seems to have a grip on who they know likes their games. It seems to have kind of just slowly built bigger and bigger, if that makes any sense. I agree, though I think it's worth noting that Persona, the modern Persona games, I should say specifically, are a marked departure from the type of stories that Atlas normally has told in their games up to this point. So I think it's kind of a case of they're not necessarily trying to please everybody so much as they are just trying to diversify their core skill set, their core franchise. So where, you know, they, they, they still keep the idea of like dark secrets and demons and psychological damage and, you know, investigating concepts from psychology, whether it be, you know, Freudian psychology, Jungian psychology, whatever, and interspersing it with stuff from H.P. Lovecraft or inspired by, you know, like the darker sides of religion, they can still take those sorts of concepts and make them lighter. It's, it's all in how you present it. And I think Persona represents the closest that we've come to Atlas saying, you know what, let's make a Mega Ten game that is as close to being for everyone as a game about summoning a penis monster in a wheelbarrow is going to be. It took me a second to register that one. I forgot about that. Oh yeah, Mar Mara is is definitely one of the things that I'm always going to bring up about the Persona franchise because it's a giant green penis and a fucking wheelbarrow. I completely forgot that was a thing at the game. I re I remember seeing that card. I was like, I don't think I want that one. Yeah, there's also Belphegor, who's just a a demon in like in like weird footy socks on the toilet. Oh man, the meetings when they when they show up to draw those things must be amazing. I don't know what the fuck is wrong with me that I, that I keep enjoying this shit, but whatever. But it's, 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 it's worth noting that Persona 4 is basically the closest that you're going to get to being a wide audience-friendly version of an SMT title. As you had mentioned earlier, SMT3 was not the game that was going to catch on because even with its more audience-friendly presentation, it's still pretty damn dark. I, I mean, uh, the game happens at... Well, the core the core gameplay element always happens at night. I mean, the protagonist is dressed pretty darkly. He seems like a pretty... My one, my one friend put it probably the best way. He he said it's it's the emo game of the series. Yeah, that's definitely a part of it. But it's it's also, although the the aesthetic is decidedly emo, the lead character even looks like he like fell out of an emo band. But it's also worth noting that from a color scheme perspective, from a conceptual perspective, this is definitely a game that even while trying to be more readily accessible, is darker in theme and tone. You know, the, the, the identifying color for the game is blue, like a dark blue. At the same time, though, that game did originally come out in the mid-2000s, so that kind of checks out for that time period, too. It does, but you weren't, you weren't necessarily going to sell the casual market on a game where the main character's wandering through town, like, past some coffins, and, like, everything is a dark color, and the theme of the game is kind of, you know distrust, isolation, things like that. It's a game that still checks out with like an appropriate subset of people, but it's not 
like everyone. Like it's not going to be the sort of game that's going to bring in people who weren't super into your franchise to begin with. Like that's a game that's more preaching to the choir, I think. Yeah, and probably go going into development of four, they probably need to make a much more colorful game. Yeah. There's probably a certain point where it's like, we, we need to make something at least happier at face value. Yeah, and it's Persona 4 is really stands in stark contrast to 3 in a lot of ways. It's, it's the immediate and most obvious change is the arc color of yellow, whereas, you know, you had your dark blue that, like, you know, cast that kind of dark shadow over things. You have this, this, this arc color of yellow for Persona 4 that's, that's very bright and happy. And that still stands in contrast to the fact that it's a game where you just you're you're talking about murders. But even that, like the game is still mostly remembered as being a lighter game, despite the fact that three people are straight up fucking killed in the narrative. I can't really compare it to three because I'm only so far in before like just the relationships you have with everyone around town and mainly the investigation team seems to take center stage for that more so than the actual mystery. Yeah, it's definitely a game that feels a lot more friendly. It feels a lot more lived in universally. Like, you get to know people, you get to like people, and you can see the interactions between people and how well they get along with one another. It, it, it's a game that encourages you to like its audience, or to like its cast, because it likes its cast. And your opinion may differ once you've gotten through the game to a certain extent, but I kind of feel like Persona 3 is a game where... It didn't necessarily like its own cast as much, and it's easier to like that cast if you come to Persona 3 from games like Persona 4 Arena or Persona Q, where the infectious, I want you to like me mentality that Persona 4 presents kind of rubs off on the game a bit more. Yeah. Set setting, I think, might be part of that too, because Inaba, just by comparison, it feels a lot more connected, and I mean, that kind of that's kind of a given for a small town but i feel like the shopping district is only a short walk away from the school so like there's a much better sense of familiarity there even when you're first starting up the game where you take kind of one lap around town and you're like okay i got it whereas the city in persona 3 just going around it the first time i'm like this feels a lot more segmented and it actually shows the route you have to take that you have to get on the train it's actually further away you can't just walk there i think that's part of it too yeah it's i feel like in a lot of respects it's part of it definitely comes down to the fact that persona 4 is a completely different game from anything in atlas's wheelhouse the closest comparison piece is persona 3 and even then there's still a lot of bleak still a lot of mechanical unfriendliness still a lot of yuck in persona 3 that persona 4 kind of puts aside and I feel like, while that's not necessarily going to be the game for everyone, it is definitely a game that makes Mega Ten as a franchise and Persona as a sub-franchise instantly more accessible for people who don't want these games that are 100 hours because you're grinding for 60 of them, featuring miserable protagonists and you know, miserable worlds often in the death throes or that have already died and you have to, you know, deal with post-apocalypse. Also, I feel like I've been I've been trashing 3 here. I do like 3 a lot so far. Like I said, still early in. It's just weird, like, seeing... It's, you're seeing all the things where you're like, okay, they figured this out when they got to 4, but 
Yeah, and I feel like that's important because like three is not a bad game. Let it not be said that three is a bad game. I I I do like it a lot. Like I I want to keep trucking through this thing. Yeah, it, it's narratively speaking, it is not my favorite, just because I don't like some of the choices that they make in the game, and I don't I don't like the overall arc theme of it kind of being about a bunch of people who don't trust one another and ultimately eventually kind of have to grow into that position by force. Uh, I'm kind of embracing that thing. I don't trust Shinji at all. I don't blame you, but it's it's. it's... I I don't. I don't trust a guy that wears a turtleneck suit and has long hair. There's just something, something ingrained in me that says don't trust that guy. No, he looks like a record producer. Fuck him. And also Mitsuru, I'm like, it, when you go to the tower and she has the red armband on, I'm like, it, 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 is she a Nazi? Like she's sending Nazi vibes right now. Yeah, I don't, I don't think they thought that out particularly well. Like, I really don't think they were going for you know, Nazi vibes, because everybody has the C's armband, but holy shit, maybe we shouldn't have used, like, a, a red armband with, like, distinct angular black letters. Like, may maybe we should have gone for something a little bit different there, guys, but, yeah, uh, I mean, Sue was alright. You could have made it blue. Yukari's alright. She did try to shoot me when I walked in the door, but it it's alright. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, she was scared out of her mind, so it's, it's, it happens. I have my issues with the narrative of Persona 4. Like I said, I don't I don't like that particular thematic execution. I don't like where they go with it, but I don't hate the game. I think it's a good game overall, but it's clear. And, and you can tell, like, within your first few hours, there are definitely changes that Persona 4 made that even if you are a fan of Persona 3, you can look at and you can say, these are definitely changes that improve the experience for me as a player. Yeah, if we're going to get into gameplay, because we haven't really talked about that yet... Full party control is a big one for me, because that first battle in three where you have the whole party together, I was like, oh no, I can't, I can't give them a direct command of what to do. Yeah, and there's going to be at least one instance where they're going to cast a spell that is a plays to the enemy's strengths and is going to fuck you for that turn. Oh no, I fully accepted the, it hasn't happened yet, but I fully accepted the fact that someone's going to fuck me over at some point. Yeah, it's it's Persona Four for the Persona Four port Persona Three Portable, excuse me, has the ability to turn on full team control. So at the very least, Atlas eventually said, "You know what? This is a thing our fan base wants in Persona Three. Let's give that to them." And Persona Three Portable, despite the removal of some of the aesthetic elements, like you can't, they couldn't put in all of the cutscenes and whatnot is, in a lot of respects, the best version of Persona 3 you can get. And it also has that option of playing as a female protagonist, if that's a thing that you want to do. But the fact that it took them three games to get to that point is kind of interesting to me, I think. So, 3 was 2006, right? I believe so, yeah. 2006, 2007. 4 was 2008. Mm -hmm. So, Team Control was a brand new thing for 4 that they hadn't that there was no way for them to really figure out. Well, they couldn't have figured it out for three, but by the time they get to Portable, yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting because I feel like they probably could have fitted in for FES, and I, I believe that the reason why there was kind of a a rigid stance on that was because it, it plays into the theme of trust within the narrative of Persona 3. From a narrative perspective, it makes a certain amount of sense to have that in there and make it be mandatory, but from a mechanical perspective, fuck you, I don't want to deal with that bullshit. I, it's not a problem right now, but I can see it being a problem later. 
like I said, I've accepted that fact. Yeah, it's it's also it's also worth noting in the comparison to part three, one of the best changes that they made was making the social link circle much more directly associated to the protagonist. And I don't know how far you are in part three, but the first social link that you or one of the first social links, I should say. I don't know if it's the very first one, though. I think it is. It's it's for C-Squad, isn't it? The fucking one guy who is in your class. He's just this dope. Who's like, hey, we should be friends. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's the first social link. He, he just shows up to you. Yeah, and he's like, hey, we should be friends. By the way, I want to talk about the fact that I totally want to bone one of the teachers. Yeah, he... I, I'm, I'm playing nice with him so far. I'm, I can't say I'm a big fan. Yeah, and it's, it's, that's a lot of Persona 3. It's, you have this wide roster of characters that you can interact with, and, fuck, um... Before, by comparison, how your relationship develops with Yosuke and, and Chie at the beginning of the game is way more natural, now that I'm thinking of it. Yeah, exactly, and it's, that's important within the confines of how the social links are structured, because in Persona 3, the only social links that you can get in your party, at least playing as the male main character, is with the girls. Specifically with um, Yukari, Mitsuru, and Fuka. And then I believe in the expanded version FES, you also get the option to have a social link with Aegis. So that's four. You cannot have a social link with any of your male friends. You cannot really, like, make friends with any of your male friends. What the fuck is that? Oh, that's weird. Yeah, and in, in, in the Persona Portable version, in the uh, PSP version, the reverse is true for the female main character. The only social links you can really get are with the male characters. So you can have social links with Junpei and with Ken and with Shinji and with Akihiko, but you can't have social links with, you know, Yukari and Mitsuru and Fuka. And it's weird, like, that they have that specifically segregated social link set up where you can only have social links within your party with the people that you can bone. That's, uh, I, I don't know what kind of message that sends. Well, the, the, the major message that it sends to me is that your boner is the metaplot of the universe. Okay, but, um, yeah, it, no, that's just a weird, really weird thing to put into the game. I don't, and th this is for portable, right? That's for all the different versions. Like, portable is the one that makes it the most obvious conceptually because the female main character changes all of her social links within the party over to the male characters instead of the female characters. So it's obvious that they did it that way. But again, in Persona 4, all of the social links that you deal with, the vast majority of them are directly interconnected to your life. Every single party member that you can get is a social link. When you start meeting people outside of your core party, it's, you know, Uncle Dojima and Nanako are two of your social links, because you, you live with them and you interact with them every day. Mark, Mark, let, let me ask you something, though, real quick. How do you take your coffee? Cream, no sugar. Where are you, Nanako? I thought Nanako, no, Nanako has sugar in her coffee. Aw, oh, man, I forgot the thing. I ruined like, the what joke. what are you, a pussy? <laughs> yeah, surprise <laughs> me. Coming right yeah, up, surprise madam. me, and he just pours the fucking coffee in his face. <laughs> My favorite will always be black. Don't try and act up, you sissy. Yeah, go fuck yourself, you little uh, bitch. Yeah, no, but it's... Comic, I fucking love comic that comic. I wish that... It is forever warts my image of Dojima, but whatever. I wish that I wish that uh, that had actually been completed all the way through, because that would have been hilarious. But 
what we got was a treasure and we should and we should love it always fabulous compliment to the game absolutely but especially the yeah, voice getting, acted version the voice acted version is amazing yeah getting, getting back to the relationships i'm so mad i messed up that joke but getting back to the relationships in the game yeah every everything felt really natural like especially you brought up the outside stuff that i think that really worked well because the time management element of that game the stress from that was real man Oh yeah, it's like even even if you have a schedule in mind for how to do everything, it still sucks. Oh man, I I will never forget this. It was early on in the four. So I joined the soccer team. I joined I joined the band. And then you, you walk out of the classroom. Daisuke walks up to you. He's like, "You're coming to soccer practice, right?" Chie walks up to you. She's like, "You're hanging out on the roof with me, right?" And then Yosuke walks up to you. He's like, "Yeah, you're coming to Juness, right?" And then Ayane walks up to you and goes, you're coming to band practice, right? And I'm just standing there going, uh, uh, I don't know. What the fuck? Yeah, like, the worst is when you get, when you have, like, six that just trigger for some reason in a day. Like, if you have, like, a test day and you just get that to, to kick off, like, right on that day, it's, you've got, you know, Yosuke, Yukiko, Chie, Naoto, Kanji, just this, this procession of people coming up to you in the fucking hall. Hey, we're going to hang out later, right? Hey, we're gonna hang out right, right here. We're gonna hang out later, right? Fuck you! And no, and for me, it got to a certain point where if I knew I had to hang out with someone on that particular day, I just like did not even make eye contact with anyone else on the way to them. Yeah, no, screw that. That was <laughs> because I knew if I talked to them, I could not say no. Oh yeah, no, definitely. It's it's you. You have to give them these really non-committal. Maybe. Because if you go and you talk to them, and, like, the only option is yes or no, it's just going to be like, uh, fuck, I guess. But in that situation, even when you don't get that situation, when it's just after school and you can walk up to anyone, just saying, no, I don't want to hang out, and then they just go, oh, okay, and then that, that dialogue box comes up that says, uh, Kanji, for instance, looks a bit sad. I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I just end up feeling so bad. I didn't mean it, bro. Shit. It's also really worth noting that that Golden does that even better in a lot of respects because they add in two brand new social links that weren't in the original game, and both of them are introduced in a way that ties them into your storyline and makes them feel more like actual important parts of the narrative than just you know the kid that you're teaching you know language to or whatever, so he doesn't fail out of middle school. Yeah, that's true. I. I... That's the thing, too. The only Persona game I know beginning to end right now is Golden, and the original version of that doesn't have Marie in it. Or Adachi as a actual social link. Oh, Adachi's not a social link? Nope. He's he's in the game, but he's not a social link, and it's... I didn't, I didn't want to hang out with him anyway, that's fine. I feel like going through his social link path actually gives you a certain degree of understanding for why he is the way that he is, and I, I appreciated it for what it was. No, nah, I actually I didn't like Adachi from the beginning. I just did not like him. Every time he showed up in my house, I just got mad. <laughs> I got irrationally mad and would just This is the thing too. Persona 4, like it might sound weird, but playing that game like got physical reactions out of me. Like Adachi, there there were points where if I was home alone, I would just start yelling at my Vita just to get the fuck out of my house. I mean, Adachi is a piece of shit, and that's that's not in any way, shape, or form, you know, a contestable thing. Yeah, but I, I, I didn't know that yet. I mean, he he kind of looks like a dumbass. He kind of looks like a, a fucking dumbass at all points. So it's 
it's not unreasonable to to just look at him and be like, you have a stupid jerk face, and I want you out of my house. The best is when that moment clicks, though, because, like, it actually... <laughs> the moment it clicks when everyone kind of figures it out, it's like, oh, yeah. He was there the entire... He was, like, there every step of the way. Why did he tell us that much? And yeah, I did have a bit of a spoiler alert because of the anime and watching clips of all the funny moments from that, and you kind of see things along the way, but I always kind of knew... Once he got to the end, it was like, Dachi might be a problem, but yeah, still. Yeah, it, it's it's handled well enough, I think. And I feel like, again, the social link is work, worth going through just because it gives you a bit more understanding to why he is the way that he is. It doesn't necessarily make him likable, but it makes him understandable. And I feel like for somebody in his position, it's helpful to at least appreciate why he's doing all of these things that he's doing, even if you don't necessarily like those things. It's It's... I, I always look at it from the perspective of the best kind of bad guy villain heel that you can get in a story is somebody who has complex motivations that make them believe that they're right, that you can empathize with even if you know they're wrong. Nah, fuck Adachi. Uh, no, fuck Adachi, but, st- I mean, he, he's, he's a well-written character, I'll say that. He's a well-written character. Fuck that guy, he's a piece of shit, but they did a good job with fleshing him out. Certainly, th- there there are characters that... that go full heel in prior games where it's kind of like, eh. Whereas Adachi feels like an appropriately complex character. Fuck him, he's still a dick, but... Yeah. But I think I think the larger point we were getting at before we spiraled into the Adachi hate train was basically, yeah, I, I think the relationships that you build with these characters and just how they're laid out is a big reason why Persona 4 Golden, I guess in particular, is the game where it just cl- it clicked. And it's worth noting, though, that that spiraling into the Adachi hate train is important because how many RPGs can you say that you've played where you have that kind of passionate reaction about anybody? Can I tell you like one more story about, about my time playing through that game? Sure, go ahead. All right, so when you get to the Adachi boss fight and he does, you know, his spoiler, he does his transformation because no boss in the Japanese RPG has just one form. You know, I'm going through the battle. We're, we're doing our part. And I, have you seen uh, Civil War? The movie? Captain Captain America? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so, you know, I'm, I'm fighting this. I'm, I'm fighting the boss. I'm getting his health down. I, I think we're there. We need, you know, one more good solid hit. I do the analysis with Rise, and she's like, this might be a good idea, and just blurted out of my mouth, just, like, full-on Tony Stark, let's kick his ass. Bang. <laughs> hit the button. Took him down. Fight over. It was amazing. I feel like from a battle perspective, there are a few things in life that truly that, that truly give you like this ultimate sense of, we got this, then that final sequence in the last battle, where, you know, he just stands up, throws his glasses off, and is like, alright, fuck this. Oh my god. See, I'm, I'm, go- I'm going to sound like, like, such, like some sort of weirdo, like, saying that, like, I was flipping out in front of this handheld device over what was going on, but, like, it's actually true. And I was texting my friends who have beaten the game already about this every step of the way, and they were probably just laughing their asses off. I mean, it's it's a it's a great goddamn, it's a great goddamn ending, though. Like, it's a great final sequence where it's, he doesn't need the glasses anymore to see the truth, and it, no, you're just fucking done, that's just it. And it's, it's, it's simple, especially with the way that the visuals are set up, where it's, they're still just kind of like doofy-headed chibis for a certain extent. But no, it, it just it's a powerful moment. It's affecting. And it's that's, I think, another big part of 
on the whole, why something like Persona 4 Golden succeeded where prior games failed, because Persona 4 gets to the root of the story it's trying to tell. Even if you don't like that story, it does a very good job telling that story. Yeah, everything in a way is kind of relatable, too. I, I mean, relatable in some fashion. I mean, we've, we've all, especially, I, we've, we've all been through high school. I mean, we've all had different runs through it. I mean, I was pretty much a nobody in there, but um, it, it, it was weird. Like, I don't want to put this, that game basically felt like, you know, it's going to sound weird saying this, but that felt like everything I wanted high school to be, minus, you know, the, the murder part. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's very down to earth. Like, even... Even as you go through something like Persona 3, Persona 3 has a very disconnected quality to it, where you're dealing with actual secret societies and actual, like, talking robots and, like, a police officer who sells you weapons and all this different shit. It's worth noting, though, that, you know, there's a lot of places that Persona 3 disconnects narratively, you know? If I work for the secret society where we desperately need to stop all these shadows, why in the fuck do I have to pay for my own weapons? Uh, because there needs to be some sort of economy. No, there doesn't. Mechanically, there. It, mechanically, it's it makes sense. It seems like there should be, but there doesn't really need to be. You could just give me upgraded weapons, or even better, it could just be like what they do in Persona Four. Hey, bring me the component parts of these things that you kill, and I will make them into new shit. Well, if you if you're going to the cop directly, he probably needs something back in return because he's doing some really risky things here. Sure, but why doesn't C's pay him? Because that could be traced back. I I don't know. I just think it's weird that like C's couldn't figure out a way to make that work. So it's yeah, here have this money that I got from like an upside down clock in a dungeon. I, I apologize for like the black goo that's on it. You're just gonna have to wash it off. Just take that. Give me give me the gun. Like, there's, there's small narrative hiccups in that game. Not even just there. Just in general. There are points where the game feels too sci-fi. The game feels too disconnected. Where it's... it's you, you eventually get to this point where you know that you're playing a game. Whereas in Persona 4, you can kind of relate to it, as you said, because we've been through high school. It's, it's completely reasonable to kind of go through this weird murder mystery because it's not like we haven't seen that before or empathize with it before fuck stand by me is kind of based off of that and that was in the 90s i mean to be fair you are in high school in 32 it's just it's different because you're thrown right into you're, you're thrown right into the mix of this already in progress uh, fight already so yeah like right from the get-go not really a lot of time to like slowly build up to it. Yeah, three doesn't really three kind of really like shoves you into it quickly, and there's there's a mystery, but it's much more obviously put together. Like you know, in the very first cinematic in three, you're walking through a town full of coffins. That's weird, and you you kind of just go up from there. Whereas in four, the first time you get an indication that something is legitimately wrong beyond the pale is when you fall into the fucking TV. Well, when you hear about that rumor. Even the rumor is just as odd, but, like, it's not beyond the pale, you know? It, it piques your curiosity to the point where you're like, oh, what's this? Yeah, they, they breadcrumb you a lot more in 4, I think. And it, I feel like it works to the game's po to the game's betterment. For 3, I don't feel like it's it was necessarily a bad thing, because actually, more often than not, I, I hate games that are really slow to start. I don't know, it just, it just felt a bit off with 3, I don't know. 
Again, there we go, like, just comparing 3 to 4 and being like, I'm not sure how I feel about this. I do like 3. Yeah, it's, it's, I like 3. I don't, I don't hate 3. It's just, I do feel like 4 executes better. And it's, that's important, especially because the big question is, you know, going into this, 4 Golden was great. All of the different games that are based off of it was great. 5 is the best-selling game in the franchise so far in Japan, and massive hype in the u.s for this game right now so are we are we going to talk about what we saw on that live stream now yeah we can talk about that and i also want to talk about stuff that we didn't see that it's like you, your game needs to do this to be to keep that hot streak going well yeah that's that's true that's true too but oh man a after that stream like i was excited for five now it's like i i don't think i've ever been this excited for a game in my life where it, to the point where it actually hurt when they said it was delayed to April fourth. I'm, it's fine. I understand it. It's only going to better the game, but man, that hurt. Yeah, I really did appreciate that they were actively saying we want to add in more voice acting than is in the Japanese game. Because how often do you hear we want to make a better version than the Japanese version? When they're delivering the message, when when the lead producer is sitting there explaining it, I was going, okay, great, and he, and he starts talking about the quality of the game, and I went. Oh no. Oh no. And when you just said we want it to be the best as possible and I'm 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 just sitting there in front of my computer going, Don't do it. Don't do it and he just said delay to April four I just went, Ah no and then Morgana showed up and he's like, Hey, you get you get the Japanese voiceovers too. It was like, Oh okay. Yeah, I saw a lot of people that were kind of like were kind of being really shitty about that, which was disappointing. I'm I I think I'm someone who's always going to prefer the English dubs, but that that's nice to have. Yeah, I was I was really glad that they made that announcement. Like I said, it was frustrating seeing people who were like, "That should have been in there in the beginning." Fuck you! And it's just like, come on. It's it's free, so it I, not a big deal. No, I'm happy that it's there. I just I don't know. I love the English voice acting. I think that the voice actors and actresses that they've hired for the games in general have been great. And from what we saw in the live stream, the casting that they have for this game is is top shelf. The Smash Brothers announcer is the protagonist. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, I was I was like, what, really? But you know what? I'll give the guy a shot. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah, and we were, I mean, we were kind of speaking like the, the the trend with the Persona series seems to just be iteration and just kind of building off everything, perfecting it, and that really. It seemed like Atlas reached what they wanted the game to be by three, and then when it got to four, they figured it out. They kind of perfected every. They perfected the foundation of what that game has to be, and now five is just ramping everything up to eleven, for lack of a better term. Yeah, I appreciate certain things that they've already kind of showed off from advertisements, from the trailers, etc., so on. Like the one thing I definitely appreciate is that there is a very distinct, very different arc presentation and arc color for it so you know persona 3 had its dark blue persona 4 had its bright yellow and persona 5 is is a distinct blood red and that's interesting i don't know how it's going to play in but the fact that from what we saw in the trailer you know a dude ripped his fucking face off yeah that was pretty hype yeah it's 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 definitely it's it's definitely trying to be I think the game that builds players toward what SMT kind of is about, because Persona 3 is is very much a dark and morose experience, which, which borrows some elements from SMT. Part 4 is 
more cheerful, bright, upbeat, colorful, and presents a world and a universe that is same, but still gets in those thoughts. So it's coming from four to five, because a lot of people are just going to move forward. They're not going to want to move back. You've all of a sudden got this, okay, we have these people who bought four and will we'll buy the shit out of five. What can we do to bring them into the fold so that they're ready when we do another SMT game? Or when we, you know, do like uh, a remake of Nocturne or whatever the shit. So you're getting this game that, that's kind of borrowing from the SMT universe and to a certain extent from Catherine, I note. And I feel like that's a good way to get people who are on the outside looking in into this world and be like, hey, it's okay. We're going to bring you where you need to go. We're going to climb the mountain together. And then when we get there, you're you're going to love it. You're going to think it's great. Just trust me. Well, wasn't Catherine, like, originally just a test for them to figure out how to use the engine for, for 5? I don't know if I'd go that far necessarily, but Catherine was definitely meant, I think, as a way for them to acclimate themselves to developing on the next generation consoles at that point. Which is kind of funny, considering that Catherine was the only game that they released for those outside of Persona 5, which is now also appearing on the PlayStation 4. So that's interesting. I, I mean, if it's just for, if it was just a means for them to get acclimated, and they still, for regardless of what you think of it, they turned out a pretty quality title with it. I mean, that's that's impressive on its own. Yeah, and you can tell also that they're kind of using an engine that is in line with the Catherine engine there. Just the aesthetic of it is pretty similar. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not sure if the, it's the exact same same engine, but um, the style is pretty familiar. Like the way the graphics look, the art style. Yeah, I don't know if it's the exact same engine, but I definitely feel like it's at least an upgraded version of the engine. They they clearly are using the same aesthetic from Catherine in Persona Five, and I don't object to it. I, I'm not necessarily a huge fan of the Catherine aesthetic, but from what I've seen, I feel like Persona 5 does something with it that Catherine didn't for me. And I guess maybe it's the fact that, you know, you're, you're seeing the world of Persona in there instead of, you know, babies with chainsaws grafted to their arms. So, like, maybe that's helpful for me from an aesthetic purpose to get me more acclimated to that engine. But I don't know. I never liked the aesthetic from Catherine as much as I did Personas 3 and 4, but I do like what they're doing with it in Part 5. I mean, this this is one, too, where, like, you're you're not going to see an anime cutscene, right? And then you see the actual game, and it's just, it's in nearly a completely different style. This is one where it's going to mirror the, like, hand-drawn animated scenes as closely as possible. That I mean, that's, that's more of just technology progressing more than anything, but I... I that's kind of something you notice immediately with 5-2. I feel like, for the most part, from what we've seen, there's a lot there that says, you know, okay, this is not going to be a rehash. This is not going to be a retread. They clearly have an idea of where they want to go with this. They clearly have an idea of what they want to make. They know where they want this to go. And it's interesting and different, and it's going to be something that we should be excited for or interested for. The only things that I'm concerned about is the stuff that we haven't really seen anything on yet. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of curious to see how, you know, spending so many days in a dungeon at a time is going to work 
as far as coming back to it because they did they did show safe rooms and everything and that it's probably a good idea to jump in and out you know speaking to my experience in four every time someone got thrown in a tv and you had to go get them it was just an immediate rush i would just pick the day to go to go in a tv it would usually be the day right after and just go get them um i don't exactly know how each dungeon's gonna work so i'm curious how that how that's gonna work over the entire year i'm assuming it's one year that's how four and three both work Despite the fact that they have clearly rigidly structured dungeons, I really do feel like it's going to be more in line with how Tokyo Mirage Sessions handles its dungeons, where you can probably just plow through a dungeon in one or two days if you really want to. I don't know if they're going to have like an analog to the fox in this game where you can heal inside of the dungeon, though that would certainly be nice. But the, the thing that I'm more interested in from that perspective is... With the rigidly structured dungeons, like how much larger or how are they going to compare in terms of scope and size? Because it's clear the game wants to be a stealth game. It has like these heavy stealth mechanics going into the dungeon. Yeah, that's the thing too. I, I kind of wasn't ready to see how I kind of wasn't ready for the stealth elements of it to be as in depth as they were. Like getting caught is you, you don't want to get caught now. It's you're not just getting hit first. Yeah, and it, it's. I like that to a point, but I don't know how well that's going to hold up in a 100-hour game. And, and let us be clear, from everything that they said, Persona 5 is going to be longer than Persona 4. So if you had a 100-hour experience with Persona 4, buckle the fuck up. Oh, yeah, I'm in. I'm in. Yeah, I'm interested to see like how long the dungeons actually are. Because let's not forget, you had 10, 11, 4 dungeons where it was just run through, beat up monster, run through, beat up monster, run through, beat up monster. And I'm interested to see if the dungeons are as lengthy in terms of combat structures, aesthetics, and whatnot, or if it's going to be that these dungeons get their length as much from the puzzle-solving elements. Because, not to be a jerk, I was not a super big fan of the way Tokyo Mirage Sessions handled its puzzle mechanics, and if that's kind of what Persona 5 is going to do, that might not be the best way of dealing with it. The weird collect books, place books thing wasn't that bad from what they showed in the trailer. Like, I didn't hate that. But later dungeons in Tokyo Mirage Sessions had you actively avoiding and, like, getting around spotlights to find the correct path or flipping switches on and off to change panels on a f set of floor tiles where you couldn't directly see what the changes were until you walked over them unless your memory was really good. And it, some of those puzzles got to be a little hinky. So, it it sounds like it was something that you would lose track of pretty quickly, unless you had the notepad next to you or something. Yes. And it, I didn't hate it, but it definitely did sour me on the experience a little. Well, it sounds like it's one of those things where at the end of the game, it's like, I don't want to deal with this. Why are you making me... It, it's... I mean, I mean, it sounds like one of those things, am I right? Kind of, yeah. Like, it, it didn't dissuade me from playing. Like, it was less a case of... I don't want to deal with this. Why are you making me deal with this? And it was more of a case of, ugh, I got to go through this again. Fucking fine. Whatever. Yeah. Because that's somewhat kind of happened to me, too, in the last the last two bosses in um, 4, where you're running through, you're trying to get to the, to that last boss, and you're just, I'm, for me, it was just like, at a certain point, I fought so many, shat, so many shadows, like, I really don't want to deal with this unless I have to right now. And, I mean, for the most part, the game was pretty good about it. If you if you knew what you were doing, you could just bolt right past everyone, but... 
sometimes you get caught. Especially if you saw a treasure chest and got stuck behind it. That that happened a lot. I think that's going to kind of be a thing with any JRPG, unfortunately, where you're, to a certain extent, going to get to this point where eventually the gameplay is just going to be like, what in the fuck am I doing with my life? Kind of. The closest I've come to a game where it kept combat fresh really late into the game would have been something like Shadow Hearts with, like, you know, their their weird circular rotation, like, their, their weird Mario Golf fucking uh, combat mechanics. But even then, it's like, to a certain extent, eventually, you're just like, I just want to fight. I don't I don't want to line stuff up and try to hit it within, like, the correct colored sections of this circle. I just want to fucking hit the monster and move on with my day. And something like Persona 3 or Persona 4, where the combat is kind of a means to an end, I think... Like, the combat got boring earlier than it probably would have just because there isn't as much depth to it. Five kind of seems like they're trying to address that with, like, adding in, you know, new elemental weaknesses and the the guns as a standalone thing that you don't need to use but can be helpful in exploiting enemy weaknesses. Oh, yeah, I completely forgot about the guns, too. Yeah, which is something that kind of came in from Part 1. Part 1 had both guns and melee weapons, but guns had infinite ammunition. It was just another elemental weakness. Here, they've actually made it into something that seems like it could be useful for exploiting weaknesses without being a mandatory go-to thing for some characters, which is neat. Okay. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, I don't think Five's combat would be a big problem as long as someone has just that almighty attack that gets all the enemies in one shot that'll take care of things pretty quick yeah that's fair that's that's definitely fair like that's that's going to be a concern for late game i think though yeah now nalto was pretty pretty much my go-to at the end there her and yukiko because i maxed her out and her fire attacks were just devastating by that point those two took out everybody yeah nalto was my go-to bo- uh dungeon clearing character because you know Mejido would just nuke most groups of enemies Whereas Yukiko was my boss killer because her, what is it, burning petals, I believe, uh, the the savage damage fire attack that she had, Jesus Christ. I I, I was talking about this to my one friend because I'm I'm a huge hockey fan too. So after I was done the game, it's like you know if I had to assign individual NHL awards to party members, Yukiko would be the heart trophy winner. That's for most valuable player. And then Nalto would definitely be the consummate winner. That's for most valuable player in the playoffs. Because she comes in late in the game and just changed everything. Yeah, just the complete style I played. It, it was just to- totally different from there on. I'm kind of interested to see how the characters in 5 interact with one another in that way. Like, how they work mechanically. Like, what skills they ultimately learn. If there's going to be even more of that variance from how the how they interact and how they work with one another that makes like you know every member of the team viable in any situation because in four i kind of felt like different characters were kind of still relegated to certain specific roles in golden they mixed this up a little bit with like you know the the skills that you can get from going on like bite trips to the hot springs or to the beach to have them like learn new things and like depending upon how you wanted to min max their stats and whatnot but I still felt like, you know, Naoto was always going to be somebody you wanted to bring through dungeons, not to bosses. You know, Teddy was always going to be somebody you would want to bring in dungeons, not in bosses, etc. 
That was something I ended up feeling bad about, too. At a certain point, I had my lineup, and I was sticking to it, and there were just party members that just never got used anymore. I always did a straight rotation. It was always um, Kanji, Teddy, and Naoto who went through dungeons, and Yukiko, Chie, and Yosuke who took on bosses. Oh, okay. I didn't know you could change them before you went into bosses. Oh, yeah, you can just, um, once you go, like, to a certain floor, like, so, like, you can return to the last floor that you went to. So I would just, you know, make sure that I had somebody who could, like, do the escape spell to get us back out, and then I would switch the party up. Oh, well, now I know for next time. Yeah, if, if, if you have a persona that has the ability to cast the escape spell, that's definitely worth it, I think. Yeah, thanks, Mark. I didn't even think of that. <laughs> um... Oh, any final thoughts on five, on what we've seen of five so far for you? The only thing I'm really interested in right now is what are they going to do with the social links? Because that's that's a big thing to me. And there's two there's two parts of that. The first part is I want to know how they're going to handle that within the party because so far on the Atlas Japan website, the only videos I have seen have been for people who are outside of the party, and clearly they're going to have social links within the party because. They've, they've, they've made all of these characters who are, for lack of a better way of describing it, waifu bait. Obviously, they want you to be able to have those social links so you can date your favorite waifu and move on with your day. But I want to know that they remember the, the lesson that they got from Persona 4 and Persona 4 Golden, and that you know everybody who's directly integral to the plot has that social link status where you can interact with them, where you can befriend them, where you can you know make them part of your inner circle or whatever. And that you know they feel like they have a meaningful connection to the player. Yeah, I don't have as heavy a concern of that as you might, just because playing through four, I've I kind of realized okay, they know what they're doing with this, and seeing the characters so far, just just the core party, I'm like, all right, I am probably going to love Ryuji as soon as we get into this game. Uh, so that's not as big as a concern for me. Probably my biggest concern going in is being good at it because seeing all the stuff like you said earlier just the guns and the melee weapons that's probably going to be something i'm going to have to wrap my head around for a good while there also i might seriously jeopardize like time spent in that game because the baseball minigame exists that too i'm <laughs> i feel like i'm going to waste more time playing the baseball game than i really should so i might screw up the first playthrough really bad <laughs> Yeah, I did. I did very much appreciate the fact that they 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 had that shown off, especially because I really love that in Yakuza. I thought that was a neat thing to have in Yakuza. So the fact that that's coming back for Persona Five is like, okay, I'm on board. I'm I'm totally fine with that. The other thing that's kind of concerning to me also, again, works off of the idea of social links because this is a thing that they still haven't fixed yet, and I'm not a hundred percent sure how you would. But I'm interested to see if they can fix it or if they can at least make progress on it. And it is this. Social links outside of your direct friend group don't fucking matter. Yeah, that's that's true. They've made strides in fixing that from three to four by making more of your friends within the group part of your social link circle. But I'd like to see something where, you know, if, for example, I date I Ebihara, she matters. There was there was a moment in I with with my playthrough that I got in trouble with, but that whatever. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, I I kind of realizing now. Shut up, Mark. <laughs> um, did you did did you screw up the Valentine's Day event? 
No, what happened was I I found out who my girlfriend was like a good way through the game, and then I realized I completely ignored I, and I was like maybe I should hang out with her, and I did, and Yukiko shows up, and she got all mad, and I was like ah oh, I'm sorry, and then I was like okay don't don't go near that girl anymore. That that was pretty that was pretty much it. No, nothing to do with Valentine's Day. Basically, I I got yelled at by my virtual girlfriend for as sad as that sounds. Uh, no, it's 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 totally understandable. Because like I said, I was playing Persona 4 Golden for review because we got an advanced review copy of it from Atlas over at Diehard Game Fan, and I did what I always do in that situation. I dated everybody, and I said nothing has ever gone wrong with this before. Surely that will hold through in this playthrough. They got you. And no, I was wrong. I was wrong. My my fav that is that is simultaneously like the saddest and my favorite part of that game where Yukiko just throws the fucking candy down on the desk and she's like, Everybody, your candy is in this bag. Take your candy and go home. Well, uh, that I that moment still happens to you no matter what. I think what, what happened like what happened for me is as she's leaving the room, she goes, she goes. There's someone I want to see specifically after after class, and she turns around and goes, "That means you." No, in in my game, she's like, "If you don't see your name on the candy in that bag, please come see me immediately." And then she gives you this look, like, you know, your fucking candy's not in that bag, right? And then just leaves. Yeah, that's what happened. But like, I went and it was a. a it was a fun time at the beach in the middle of winter. Yeah, the, the, the my favorite part is that everybody loses their shit at that moment. So it's like, re, everybody like comes in, Reese's like, oh, you know, here's all your candy. I, I want to give candy to all my friends. I appreciate everything that you do. And Chie's like, well, that's really nice. I appreciate that. And they're like, wait, you didn't have any candy for the protagonist. She's like, oh, he's getting his candy later. And it's like, hey, now. That was one thing that bothered me about Bore the entire game. Like, Risa just never seemed to get the message. I mean, she's just very aggressive. You know, she she knows what she wants, and it's it's your D, specifically. Like, I, I guess there's no way to compensate for, like, there's no way to program for you deciding on someone else. So they're just, they're just like, all right, we're, we're making Risa this way no matter what. And I was like... There were so many times where there's just a conversation going on, and Risa would say something, and I'd be like, you, you, you do know I'm with Yukiko, right? Like, you do know that. She doesn't. They never do. And it's that was the one thing I kind of hated about Risa's plotline, is you get to that point where she's bawling your fucking eyes out, and your options are get into a relationship with Risa or be a dick. No, but it's not as clear as that. It's hugger, which any normal person would do. Right! Or just stand there, and I'm like, I know what hugging is going to do. Yeah, I just it's, it's, have to... it's get into a relationship with Risei or be a dick. And it's like, really? I can't wait to see what those moments are like in 5, like what they're, what they're going to be. Especially considering how much more eclectic the cast has been presented so far in comparison to Part 4's cast. Because, like, the characters in Part 4 still very much maintain the same aesthetic from normal and interactions to outside interactions like their class outfits and their real life outfits don't have significant variance and they feel sort of grounded in reality whereas this game like it, it's kind of some violent ass sentai show sort of stuff so it, it's interesting it's going to be interesting to see how the game deals with that i think also one thing i immediately noticed like from them showing the first dungeon in five was in in four you you had the creepy teacher to stay away from uh in this game they just went full on with that like no this is the first boss 
Yeah, he and and he is way creepier than Miss Kashiwagi or Professor Moraoka ever was because Moraoka was just a weird, overly drunk, super prude dick. This guy like actively comes across as like stranger danger, like abusive rapist kind of. And, holy shit! I am not on board with this guy at all. Yeah, because. I'm sorry, I forgot her name again. What was her name again for? Oh, uh, Miss Kashiwagi. I keep forgetting her name for some reason. It's probably because I stayed away, but... Yeah, there was the one where you could take her quest where she's like, I need you to look for something for me, and I was just like, no. Just no. And then Five's like, okay, you didn't like that, we'll ramp that up to 11. Yeah, I'm gonna be interested to see where they go with that, like, just across the board, especially because if you're starting from that guy, how much worse do you make the other bosses, you know? They're they're crazy enough to just throw something at you, so. Yeah, I'm gonna be interested to see just where everything goes. Like, the narrative is definitely going somewhere crazier and weirder and more absurd than anything we've seen before from it, which is good, and I like that. Though, as I said, it, it's I'm I'm wondering what we're going to do with incorporating people who are outside of that framework into the group, and I also am wondering how they're going to handle like certain parts of the narrative because it's clear Morgana kind of occupies that I guess Teddy role and I really hope that it's it's more different from what those characters brought to the table. So for the ones outside your party, I I don't know, everyone eventually becomes phantom thieves. You you just give everyone a gun and they go in and they have to rip their face off and then they're just in. <clears> hey, <throat> you know what? I it worked for Assassin's Creed. You don't rip your face off, but the other parts, where you're just like, look, you're part of my family now, we're doing this, that's fine. I, I feel like you could make it work in this game, just be like, listen, like, you know, you you work for me now, it's okay. So everybody's on the inside, so you can just, like, if you meet a, somebody who's not in your group and you want to date them, just be like, hey, listen, I kill people, are you alright with that? Cool, let's bone. Well, you kill shadows, but... <laughs> yeah, I just Now I'm thinking, by the end of the game, you just have this entire army behind you. I, I would not object. Oh, man, that... That'd be cool, but I, I think I'm starting to get carried away with my expectations there. Yeah, I feel like I feel like that's probably as good a place as any to wrap it up, because it, it definitely feels like Persona 5 is on the right track, and while there are places it can go that would be interesting, it's probably just going to be better at this point to wait and see with what they announce and what they do with it. I do have one request for Atlas if they're listening to this, and they are probably not. But? But... I will pay for that Catherine DLC if you bring it west. I will do it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that they're going to bring all the DLC west, so more than likely... I will, I will fully admit to being part of the problem there, but I would buy it in a heartbeat. <laughs> and I won't feel as bad because EA is nowhere to be seen on the game's box or anywhere in the credits, so... Yeah, I mean, Atlas isn't that bad with DLC. Like, even the DLC that they've included for uh, SMT4 Apocalypse, I mostly did not object to. Though I don't necessarily know if we need, like, grinding locations for every single game. It's at least, at least they're giving you value in it. I'll say that. I want my character to look like Vince. Pro tag. I, I, th I think we've, we've set our piece here. I'm Definitely. not even sure what we're even talking about anymore. <laughs> the Persona games are good. They're good. They're great. I love them. Well, I do want to say thank you very much, Nick, for coming onto the podcast today. I do appreciate it, especially on relatively short notice to get this done in a reasonable amount of time. Yeah, my uh, thanks for having me on. My only hope is after this one that 
you feel the need to invite me back because I I honestly can't tell you how how well this one went. Oh no, honestly, I feel like this went very well, and I, I have never had a bad experience recording on the podcast yet. So if you want to come back, you are welcome to do so pretty much anytime. Okay, cool. Well, I'm glad I kept that streak going, and to everyone listening, thanks for putting up with my voice for nearly two hours. I hope you enjoyed hearing from a persona noob if that's the right term for it but uh yeah they're fun games i like them thanks for listening to me and mark talk about them and if you liked what you listened to today make sure that you you like you subscribe and you comment you can find us over on soundcloud at soundcloud.com slash mark b writing as well as on itunes google music stitcher and pretty much anywhere that podcasts are hosted uh if you do want to follow along outside of the podcast you can follow me over on twitter at mark b writing and at facebook at mark b writing home and where can they follow you at, Nick? I am at It's Nick on just about everything. I-T-S-S-N-I-C-K, all lowercase. YouTube, Twitter, PSN. I mean, I'll, I'll play Rocket League with anyone that wants to play Rocket League, pretty much. If there's a social media platform, there's probably an It's Nick on it. Or four, as we found out today with the Skype call. Yeah, I think they were all yours, though, because I looked them up by the email address. Oh, yeah. I No, I'm, I'm 99% sure I own them all. I just forgot about them. Well, join us next week when our topic will be who is the best waifu and why is it Yukiko? But on behalf of Nick Tricomb, this is Mark B. saying stay safe out there, junkers.